This is Matt. And this is Tony. And this is What Did We Miss? The podcast where we explore our pop culture blind spots one episode at a time. It feels like we haven't been here in a while. It's been a while, yeah. It's been a while. Sorry. Yeah, right. I'm sorry. It's a it's um, a force of habit. It's all it comedy bang bangs. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, no, it's it's been a minute. Uh, we did a lot in a short period of time for October. Went hard. Yeah, and then I was on vacation. Where'd you go? Uh, recently. I went out to the Pacific Northwest. Spent, How was it? It was great. We spent two days in Portland and then the rest of the week in Seattle. Ooh. Um, if you're following us on Instagram, you may have seen I posted some photos from the Museum of Pop Culture in Seattle. Uh, they had a bunch of movie props and exhibits. Mm-hmm. and There's a lot of stuff specific to topics we've covered previously. They had... Uh, the model head and slashed Achilles tendon of Fred Gwynn from Pet Cemetery. <laughs> um, they had some Texas Chainsaw stuff. Um, I saw the alien, like the suit from Alien. From Alien. Um, Greedo's mask, um, Luke Skywalker's hand, well, are, and lightsaber. You, you're holding out on us here. Didn't you sit on Prince's motorcycle? It was it was a a screen accurate. Recreation. Uh, okay. so, so it wasn't the actual. But it was a rad purple Honda. <laughs> um, his puffy shirt was there. His puffy shirt with some looks guitars and a lot like the Seinfeld puffy shirt. Yeah. A lot of great photos, too. That exhibit had a lot of cool photography um, from folks he had brought into the studio. Um, one photographer who I think was the first to really photograph him as he was starting out. And then, you know, later uh, folks who followed him around on tour. So you see this great visual sort of uh, evolution in photos and uh, like contact sheets of sort of how his persona evolved, not just from like one persona to another, but even like the early contact sheets were great because there are photos of him smiling and it's very like unprints to see him. It looks it looks so cheesy because it's not the print. Exactly. Like, but you see. The ones that are circled are like kind of zeroing in on the prints that he turned into. And yeah, it was really cool. They had a, a great Nirvana exhibit that had stuff as far back from like Kurt's high school art projects up through guitars and clothes and uh, materials from their last tour and the, the last show they did. It was neat. A handwritten letter from Buzz from the Melvins, uh, you know, kind of being like, ah, oh, this, this, uh, this Cobain kid probably has some, uh, some good music in him. We should pay attention to what's going on here. Well, I believe didn't Kurt like play drums for them for a little bit? I don't know. I, they were friends, yeah. friends for sure. But I think I think it was sort of I think the the letter was after Buzz had maybe listened to a demo tape, and I think he wrote the letter to Chris Novoselic. Yeah, and was like, "This is really interesting stuff." It was just you, you know, kids are on to something. Ah, he was probably what like maybe four years older than him, <laughs> probably. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it was cool. Uh, I watched seven movies because I'm a dork on vacation. Yeah. Saw The Lighthouse. Yeah, me too. Saw Detective Pikachu on a plane. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like the the perfect space for watching Detective Pikachu. Yeah. It Although was, it looked nice. You know it was shot on film? Yeah, you know, you don't, really, you don't really get to appreciate the visual fidelity when you're watching it on a headrest. <laughs> That shakes every once in a while because of the person in front on the of way you. on the way on the flight back. The guy in front of me like had his hands up and like curled over the seat, so mm-hmm. his fingertips were on the screen and kept like 
it's all touchscreen, kept like mm-hmm. bringing up the menu and changing things. And I'm like, I just want to watch Godzilla, bro. What are you doing? <laughs> uh, and you saw got the new Godzilla on the screen. It was meant to be seen. Oh, yes. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Not the largest dis- screen that you should possibly be. Right. The largest screen that you should be watching it on. Because despite the tagline for Godzilla 98, size doesn't matter. It doesn't. Nope. No. Um, while you were away, I read Bob Iger's autobiography. Oh. Do you know who Bob Iger is? Yes, Matt. <laughs> well, I'm just... Yeah, you, yeah, You never know. Uh, yeah, was this... Uh, this I, relatively recently, right? Yeah, he just put it out um, from the past few months, I believe. Yeah. I was curious about it because he was... I read some excerpts where he's fairly candid about Disney purchasing Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in particular, his interactions with George Lucas. That kind of piqued my interest a bit. So I was like, whatever, I'll, I'll, I'll read this. Uh, and it's pretty fascinating because, you know, he's the CEO of Disney uh, and he has been for uh, quite a while now. I think like early 2000s. Um, and he, he briefly talks about his his career before that, where he worked uh, uh, like in the sports industry, sport, sports broadcasting, and then it, and then it, I believe it was ABC, where he actually is the one that greenlit Twin Peaks, which I didn't know about. But he's also the one that forced David Lynch to reveal who killed Laura Palmer, and in the book he actually feels bad about that. He's like, I I understand now that I shouldn't have done that. Um, but it's fascinating because he doesn't, he's like, there's this sort of like veneer of being really candid, but because of his station and his power, he's not really, really candid. Like you want him to really get in there and say like, well, George Lucas, you're wrong and I'm right because I made a billion dollars or whatever. Yeah. Not that I, and I'm not saying I agree with any of that, but I, you're just hoping for a little more meat. Sure, and, not, the, not the juicy, like the kind of stuff found in, the memoirs of the late Robert Evans. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and like when he mentions Rupert Murdoch, who he had dealings with, he's just like, oh, our politics differ. And it's just like, oh, that's kind of gross. Like, get into it. But like, he can't because of, yeah. I guess he can't because of who he is, but whatever. I think Disney can take the hit. You'd think. Uh, but anyway, uh, so what he did is when he took over, this, the company wasn't doing well. And he outlines essentially what he his his mission was in order to become super successful and to actually become now this monolith of of culture of culture yeah and he their basic idea was let's find ip that we can purchase and then we'll have them come in let them do their job and do it well and then we'll make the money off of it which is really strange because it's basically saying the first thing they bought was Pixar, and Pixar they paid seven billion for, and they said, "Oh, these guys are in charge of Pixar. Know what to do." So we'll let them continue doing Pixar, and then also save our failing animation. Uh, and that's exactly what happened. And then they purchased Marvel, and then they purchased Star Wars. Um, but it seems like that's part of the problem too. Is like this sort of like all they're concerned about with is existing IP and you can see that with their new streaming service too where they've already announced like a Lizzie McGuire reboot and a couple of other their older shows and there's going to be lots of Marvel stuff and so it's just this constant sort of 
like dipping into the well. And it's just, I don't know if he's the one, obviously he's not the first one to really just like, let's mine nostalgia for as much as possible. That's been Disney's MO for a long time. Sure. I'm curious, what, two questions. Do you, do you know when he came up with that plan? Like, was there a specific point in his yeah. career at Disney? Right when he became CEO. When was that? Do you know? Was it early 2000s? Okay. Yeah. What do you know? Do you remember specifically what year they bought Star Wars? Was it 2012? Was it thereabouts? Right around then. Because the, the first one came out in 2015. Because one of the seven movies I watched on vacation was John Carter of Mars. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And I couldn't help but be like, oh, they, you know, there's stuff here that I really like. It probably yeah. didn't need to be as long as it was. Yeah. But like. I'm like, did they want this to be their Star Wars? And then it wasn't. So then they just bought Star Wars. Maybe. Uh, I think those are s- roughly around the same time. And I do think that that was a passion project for Andrew Stanton. And he made them buckets of money with Pixar stuff. With yeah. Pixar stuff. Um, I, I mean, this is like, you know, we could get into how they've bought Fox and now they've kind of the whole kerfuffle with them um, not allowing old Fox movies to be played in repertory sim- cinemas. Um, but another, uh, this seems to be kind of prevalent, not just with Disney, but like another IP that's been resurrected in the past few years, uh, and, and kind of brought to modern audiences is Riverdale. Today we're talking about Archie comics. Riverdale premiered a few years back, and this is another example of that, where we're taking something that has been popular at one point of time, uh, and we're bringing it to modern audiences and we're giving it a, a, like a new veneer, I guess, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, putting a new coat of paint on it. Yeah, exactly. Um, but we have a special guest with us to talk about Archie today. Yeah, yeah, we got our friend Ayla Alquist here. Hey, Ayla. Hello. How are I, you? I'm great. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, no problem. So you're a big Archie fan. Yeah. I've been reading Archie comics since I was a small, small child. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and for listeners, she is still a small child. Yes, just yeah. with a more womanly voice. <laughs> um, so before we dip into Archie Comics, um, how do you feel about Riverdale? Um, well, I am not... I should preface this by saying I've never watched a single episode in protest. <laughs> um, I saw the preview when they were like first teasing the series coming out, and it is nothing like the Archie Comics that I was familiar with, so... As any good, um, you know, fan would do, I boycotted the the series. <laughs> I refused <laughs> to watch it. Tony, have you watched it at all? Or I've seen bits and pieces. Um, Sandra's a big fan. Yeah, of Jughead in particular. Why? Because um, he's sexy Jughead. Super honk. <sighs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I watched the pilot just for this episode. Uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it seems very. I, I agree. Having read some. Archie comics for this episode. Tonally, it's very different. Sure. It's very steamy in like that CW show kind of way, but it also seems to be aware of its camp. It was pretty cheeky. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, within the first 13 minutes, they introduce um, Betty's mom, which is played by uh, Madchen Emick, who's from Twin Peaks. Mm Mm-hmm. And Archie's dad, who's played by Luke Perry from 90210. RIP. And I think, yeah, (laughs) yep. And I think that's like a pretty good cross section of what the show is wants to be. Yeah, is Twin Peaks and and 90210. Mm -hmm. Um, 
never as clever or weird as Twin Peaks and maybe not as doesn't take itself as seriously as 90210. And maybe that's I I've never really watched 90210. No, so I, I think again, I I I've only kind of come in and out, but I I would agree with that assessment. I I also understand where Ayla's coming from. I have um you know, certainly put my foot down and and made opinions about things because of some sure. principle or or another. Um <laughs> and you had actually Ayla, you had the same you started to have the same opinion about Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Mm, yes. But you, you kind of reversed your opinion on that, correct? Yes, because the Sabrina series, I don't think, breaks the rules of Sabrina's world as it's laid out in the comics. Yeah. So, like, that character is a witch. She deals with all these supernatural things happening in her life all the time. And so it makes sense that there would be some darkness there. The Archie comics are, like... They're just, like, pure light all the time. Like, the worst thing that happens is, like, somebody not doing their homework or, like, <laughs> dating two women at once. And those, you know, those aren't the high-level scandals that make a CW show. Not so, so you, you're saying that Jughead's dad was never, like, the leader of a motorcycle gang in the comics? Um, no, not to my knowledge. He is in the show? Yeah. I only watched the pilot. Played by Skeet Ulrich. Oh, really? Yeah. Good old Skeet. Yep. Can I, do they ever talk about Jughead's real name, or do they just say that he's Jughead the whole time? I've only heard him referred to as Jughead or Juggy. Interesting. Um, within the first 15 minutes, though, you learn that Archie is having an affair with with Miss, Miss Grundy. Grundy. And like when you see the two actors together, you're like, oh, yeah, okay, sure. that makes sense. But then when they talk about how Archie is supposed to be a sophomore in high school. Then you're just like, oh, wait, he's supposed to be like 15 years old. Have you guys seen the Miss Grundy in the comics? Uh, yeah, there's a couple of... Because she's not the same Miss Grundy no. that they're showing on Riverdale. <laughs> so because this is a CW show, do you think it exists in the same universe as The Flash and that Miss Grundy is related to Solomon Grundy? Well, I believe Greg Berlanti... <laughs> is also in a producer on Riverdale as he is on the Flash show. So it's a, there's a possibility there. Yeah. He's also the so the showrunner for Riverdale is also the showrunner for Sabrina. Interesting. Yeah, it's Roberto Aguirre Sacasa and he he's the one that did the Sabrina comics that hmm. the new show is adapted from. Okay. Uh he's been a comics writer for quite a while. He's written some Spider-Man, some Marvel stuff. Uh but now he's um creator of the Riverdale show and also of Sabrina. So I, I guess you could, what, when you f discover that, you could kind of see the overlap there of like, yeah. oh, what a, what his interests are, I they guess. They did this weird run of comics too, which was like Archie with the zombies. Sure. And I've, I've always assumed they took the tone of Riverdale from that because they the whole comic, like the series starts off with um, Reggie, one of the characters, accidentally running over Jughead's dog and then <laughs> having Sabrina reanimate the dog which of course starts you know a whole zombie apocalypse thing I only got through one issue because it was like F this I want my classic brightly colored Archie comics we're also in the middle of the second volume of Archie versus the Predator <laughs> I was just going to bring that up <laughs> and like Betty and Vernock well so Archie is the Predator in yeah this? the Predator is like disguise himself as Archie <laughs> I mean, but like, but Archie also like. There's also Archie versus the Punisher like 30 years ago. Yeah, yeah. And like, I feel like, I don't know. Again, maybe you would you would be the expert here. It seems like the folks at Archie are like, 
let's just make fun of these dumb crossovers like Batman versus yeah. Alien. So before we get into a lot of that, though, I think we need to backtrack just a bit because when we say Archie, like that can mean a number of things because Archie Comics is essentially like Marvel Comics or mm-hmm. DC Comics or Dark Horse or Image. It's a whole imprint with a number of different characters. It's just that Archie happens to be probably the face. Of the, Archie, the character, is the face of um, maybe the company, I guess. Yeah. So um, it started off as a company called Pep Comics in 1939, and they they started off as a superhero company. Um, and I guess at, at, at some point, you know, Archie is loosely based off of um, the Andy Hardy movies. Are either of you familiar with Andy Hardy? No. I have actually seen some Andy Hardy movies. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so they're from the 30s into the 40s, and they're starring um, Mickey Rooney. Oh, okay. When he's really, really young. Uh, and a few of them have Judy Garland. So I've watched the Judy Garland ones because my wife and I are big Judy Garland fans. Who isn't? Yeah, right? Yeah, she's um, amazing. She's the best. Yeah. Um, eh. Okay. I'm just... I'm just All right. <laughs> them's fighting words. Uh, <laughs> But, um, yeah, so the Andy Hardys are kind of like light screwball, I guess. Uh, but mm. they, I guess what the, the com- with Pep Comics wanted to do was essentially make a character that was relatable, which is interesting because when you watch Andy Hardy, he's like a song and show kind of kid. Like they're always trying to put on like a vaudeville show. That's the premise of like almost every Andy Hardy movie. And in the process, he finds love, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, they're always putting on a show. They're always doing song and dance numbers. There's a lot of razzmatazz, spirit fingers, stuff like that. Um, but uh, so it's interesting that they wanted to make a character that was relatable off of Andy Hardy. But when, when you see Andy Rooney in these movies, you can kind of see the resemblance to Archie just a little bit. So then Archie took off and became really successful. But so, Ayla, when did you start reading Archie comics in like... Talk about your history with it. Yeah. Um, so I grew up in a comic book household. My dad used to own a comic book store in Providence. Um, it was called Atomic Comics. and Perfect comic book store name. Yes. It was the best ever. Um, yeah. And so just I don't even know when I started because he would just bring stuff home for us to read. And we would just – I'm sure it started with us looking at the pictures. Like I don't know if there was a time when I – did not have Archie comics around when I could digest information um, through my eyeballs. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, uh, I've pretty much been, I mean, I don't read them as much anymore because times have changed. And as I got older, I realized they started repeating stories and I was recognizing that. And I was like, oh, maybe this is a problem that I've read so many I can tell when they're repeating them. Um, but yeah, I've been reading them pretty much my whole life. I don't remember if we had suggested doing this or if you had brought it up I think Ayla did yeah so I mean what um what about Archie comics you know stuck with you and and made you so passionate about them um that's a really good question I guess for one it's like a connection to my childhood and it's one of those things that my dad brought home for me because he thought like oh this will be a good influence on you in some way and I guess when you have read something for so long, it sort of becomes this like undertone in like the way that you, you know, like create humor or tell stories. And I remember from a very young age trying to like write my own comics and always putting in laugh effects like guffaw, which is not 
how anybody laughs. Um, guffaw. <laughs> guffaw. Yeah, no, no one has guffawed <laughs> since 1956. Yeah. So, I, you know, very edgy kid with my guffaws. <laughs> um, yeah. I And I guess also, too, like, Betty was kind of a role model to me um, as, like, you know, the smart, smarter of the two female leads in there. Did that? Did I actually answer your question or just? Yeah, yeah. I think okay. so. Yeah. <laughs> All right. What about you, Tony? You know, I've been trying to think about this because I know – I know the core four characters, Archie, Jughead, Betty, and Veronica, and certainly knew them by appearance and and sort of recognized their importance and their status as these sort of iconic f- figures. But I, have, I had never read an Archie comic. I don't know why I knew who the four of them were. Was there a cartoon when we were kids? Yes, there was. Yeah. I don't remember watching it. They also yeah. had their band, the Archies. See, I, yeah. you know, I and I like, I know like some of the adjacent characters, like Sabrina the Teenage Witch, who I know mostly from the, um, I almost said Sarah Michelle Gellar, Melissa Joan Hart, <laughs> Melissa Joan Hart, <laughs> uh, sitcom from the nineties. Um, I knew of Josie and the Pussycats, and again, I don't. I mean, Sabrina's the only one who I had ever engaged with, and it was through that TV show. And then my wife and I watched the first season of the Netflix show. I don't know how I knew as little as I do about these characters, to be honest. You know, I never remember a moment where I was at a comic book store and, like, walked past the Archie books and said, that's not for me. But, I, you know, I certainly didn't engage with it. So I don't know. It, it's just, um, you know, it's one of those weird things that these certain images and characters just ingrain themselves so deeply into culture that, you're just aware of them without any additional context. That's sort of where I came from with this. Yourself? You know, I've been trying to figure it out. Ever since we decided to do this episode, I've been like trying to pinpoint my specific memories of what Archie is to me. And for a while, I thought that there was like a bubblegum set. No, it's Bazooka Joe. Mm. But I looked it up, and there was a bubblegum set. <gasps> oh, really? What? Yes. Um, but, and here's the thing. It's called Archie and His Pals, so it'd come with a little strip. Um, but um, this ran <laughs> in the fi- late 50s. <laughs> so you weren't eating that. If I was eating that gum, that would explain all the, the teeth issues mm. I've had in yeah, my yeah. life. Or the cultural amnesia <laughs> around Archie. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or, or maybe someone in my family is a time traveler. I guess they were reissued in the 60s. Mm-hmm. Oh, so that The comics it. were reissued. <laughs> yeah, that explains it. <laughs> right. <laughs> for, for listeners, I was born in the 50s. I was too young to yeah. chew the gum. Yes. And then in the 60s, I was able to read it. Right. They bought back all the 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 gum, rehydrated it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that gum lasts forever, man. Oh, yeah. Yeah, if you, if you got a pack of the Archie gum now, I mean, who I'm knows? Pr- I'm pretty sure I got, I was gifted like a, a pack of, Ninja Turtles, the movie, trading cards with a stick of gum in it. Yeah. Like 20 years after the movie came oh, out. Oh, yeah, yeah, and yeah. I ate the And I chewed the gum. Of course he did. It tasted <laughs> exactly the same as I remember tasting in 1990. <laughs> um, so it could – I don't think it was the bubble gum. Um, but then I did remember the cartoon, and, uh, and Tony, to that end, here is the, um, the theme song.
You have to picture. Um, you have to watch the whole thing. Imagine if they used that, that theme from... song for Riverdale. Oh, that'd be that'd amazing. be exquisite. <laughs> Do you remember? Does that? Yeah. No. This this rings a bell. Not necessarily the song, but uh-huh. the imagery and yeah. I remember this like Archie Junior look to it. Okay. Because they don't look like teenagers in this cartoon. They, they look, look younger. They look like little kids. Um, and uh, you know, I, I I imagine this was probably just something that was on either before or after another Saturday morning cartoon I was yeah. waiting for or something. Yeah. I, I don't know. That still doesn't answer a whole lot. Um, I, I was definitely a big fan of Josie and the Pussycats, though. Like the animated show. I watched a lot of that. I watched a lot of those early Hanna-Barbera shows, and that was kind of in that block. That was a Hanna-Barbera. Yeah, okay. yeah. Yeah, that tracks. It makes sense that uh, <laughs> Hanna-Barbera would have done that. Yeah. I mean, reading, look, you're looking at these comics... It's pretty clear, you know, it's pretty clearly an influence on a lot of the character designs, especially like Scooby-Doo kind of stuff. It, mm-hmm. it has that sort of uh, uh, Archie-adjacent look to it. For sure, mm-hmm. yeah. So I guess that's all I know. But I, I, I never solved the mystery of, like, the specifics of Archie because when you see the drawings, you just kind of instinctively know that that's Archie, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's weird because I'm trying to think like outside of my own experience with it in like my home, where would I have seen Archie? And I can't like pinpoint it because I don't know if it was really a thing in like the 90s or 2000s when I was growing up. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, they were published through the <clears throat> 90s and stuff. It seems like it's never really it's still gone. gone away. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's just one of those one of those things. Yeah. So you assigned us um, a best of collection. I sure did. Yes. Um, and this one in particular is volume one of the best of Dan DiCarlo. Yes. Uh, so so why why this one? Uh, for two reasons, actually. It's the art style that I like the best and am most familiar with. Um, I think based mostly on the years of the comics that my dad was giving me. But also, Dan DiCarlo was um, the creator of Josie from Josie and the Pussycats and a co-creator of Sabrina. Mm-hmm. And Josie's actually based on his wife, yeah. Josie DiCarlo, which is pretty its pretty cool. Yeah, she said that it was inspired by them going on like a cruise together and she was dressed up, which was like, whoa, what kind of cruise is this? Hey. Hey. <laughs> um, and so he based the <laughs> based the look of off of her. Yeah. And he even had uh, like a lawsuit with the... Archie Comics Company. Yeah. When the mo- movie uh, Josie and the Pussycats came out. Right. Um, Which is a great movie. It is a lot of fun. I yeah. It kind of movie. bombed when it came out and people realized that. Yeah. It's got a bit of a cult following. It does. Yeah. Um, but it's one. It's again that the same old story of these big companies that are taking advantage of their creators and their artists. And he felt that not that he wanted millions of dollars, but he wanted more recognition for this character that he helped to create and develop and yeah. drew for the bulk of his life. Yeah, I mean, it, and from what I've read, I mean, it seems like he really established what became the Archie Comics house style and sort yeah. of solidified the design of these characters that has really carried through to the modern era. Yeah. I mean, the you gave us a bunch of collections, including um, uh, collected volumes from different ages, and mm-hmm. especially like the Golden Age series looks very much like a comic character from the early 20th century. It's funny when you look at the 40s stuff, 
I'm not going to say he looks like realistic, but Dan DiCarlo's version of it is a more streamlined version of the early versions yeah. of, of Archie and Betty and Veronica. Well, I, I'm pretty sure my Archie, like, you know, the creator history is not the best. So, um, but from what I know, Dan DiCarlo got to start in romance comics, which you can really see like the stylistic similarities. I've only seen a few of these romance comics in person. Um, but they all had those very like, you know, thin, pretty women with small features. Mm-hmm. And if you look at his, you know, era of Archie comics, Betty and Veronica are like that to a T. They yeah. have these like cute little pointy noses and yeah. Yeah, the the um the <clears throat> the very extreme hourglass oh, yeah. figures. Uh yeah. Sherry the showgirl was mm-hmm. one of the uh the early romance comics he he did stuff on. Uh yeah, he he he, he actually um Worked a lot with um, Stan Lee. He got he got a start at Timely mm-hmm. Comics, which was Marvel before it was called Marvel. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, but his wife that. said um, about his drawing style. He said, um, uh, Josie said it was the time of Marilyn Monroe and Jane Mansfield, so he was drawing that voluptu- voluptuous type of woman. When he went to Archie, he was drawing teenagers, so he changed his style a bit, but he always had a curve, mm-hmm. and that's kind of how he. He draws Betty and Veronica. Mm-hmm. The comic that you asked us to read, and you get you shared with us like a number of different volumes. Yeah. Um, so I I dipped in and out of some of the other ones, but the main book that the best of Dan DiCarlo that we read is mostly uh, Betty and Veronica stories. Yeah. Do you gravitate more towards the Betty and Veronica stuff? You know, for a long time, I I didn't really have a preference. Just kind of whatever came my way, I'd read. But as I got older, I certainly was reading more of Betty and Veronica. And by older, I mean like preteen, teenage years. So, of course, I was like, yeah, two boy crazy girls. That's what I want to read about. Because, you know, <laughs> you're going through that and it's just like the most clear cut example of um, <laughs> the way you're feeling. Yeah. <laughs> well, because uh, it was interesting because I, I read um, The Best of Dan DiCarlo first before I read any of the other stuff. And there's really not a lot of. I mean, Archie's in it, but it's always based off of what's happening to him or what Betty and Veronica are are conspiring to do. Yeah, he's almost the foil yeah, in, yeah. in a lot of the stuff in this collection. Yeah. Jughead is barely in it. And yeah, he just kind of pops in to like offer bad advice. Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The setup is essentially the same in each co- comic, and they're typically, yeah. what, like five to six pages? Yeah, sometimes even al- shorter. Yeah, and, yeah. and they're always there's always just some sort of, they're trying to not take advantage, but there's always some sort of plan that's set into motion and it always falls apart. Mm-hmm. It feels like something between a comic strip and a comic book because they're, like you said, you know, five or six pages, but in the way they feel very similar to strips in that, you know, it, it's very gag based. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, several of them ended with, you know, people angrily being like tossed into fountains or thrown out of doors <laughs> or something. Um, and, and to your point, like even like within this collection, the stories kind of repeated themselves a couple of times. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's a lot of uh, Betty and Veronica scheming to steal Archie from the other one on that night in particular. You know, it's interesting to see them both, you know, fighting for his attention, but also seeming to genuinely like each other. Yeah. Neither of them, you know, they they touch on the fact that, you know, Veronica can be like kind of rich and spoiled sometimes. Mm-hmm. But like 
you know, there, Betty it, could be even though she's really smart, she could be kind of naive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, but there's none of that like, you know, that that trope: girls fighting over a guy have to be enemies, right. or, or or that as soon as you introduce a second female character, they have to be at odds with one another. Yeah, there's there are multiple instances of the two of them teaming up to get the best of of Archie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to yeah. prove that you know he's the idiot. And I think like they are best friends is like the way they exist in that world. So. They always come back to that, which I appreciate. But yeah. don't a lot of best friends have a sort of competitive streak anyway? Yeah. So, I don't, you know, I don't think it's so far-fetched. Yeah. 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 They're as boy crazy as the boys are girl crazy. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, the the one uh, – hold on. Which one was it? This, uh, this story was called Gambler's Luck from Archie's Girls, Betty and Veronica, number 65. <laughs> and that was one where they – they girls. Like one of them was going out with – Archie and the other one was going to, da- to the dance with Reggie and neither of them were happy about who got stuck with who so they decided to like flip a coin every time one of the boys posed them with like uh, a question and I feel like if it had been the other way around if this were a comic from the 60s about two boys flipping a coin to see who got to do what with the girls next on the date like it would have felt kind of gross and cringy but like there was something surprisingly like modern about you know the girl is just being like, "Yeah, let's let's just flip for it because they're 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 just a couple of hunky pieces of meat." <laughs> <laughs> There's definitely a bunch of times too when the guys will make some comment about, "Oh, girls are just like this," but those always typically end with the girls getting the advantage or they one up Archie and the guys. Yeah, it it's interesting because as we're talking about it, I'm like, "Oh yeah, like these aren't things that I actively." I guess was realizing while I was reading it, but the more we're talking about it, I'm like, yeah, the girls totally, they were like empowered in their, in themselves and their identities. And they weren't like just boy crazy to be boy crazy. They were boy crazy. And if Archie like, you know, gave them any guff, they were not putting up with it. So they had like these, these weirdly hard limits of how far they would let things go before they were like, nope, now I'm going to have, you know, Reggie come and beat you up or I, I think there's a couple examples of like Veronica or Betty themselves actually like <laughs> beating one of the guys up or Betty is practicing um some form of martial arts to defend herself. Yeah. And Veronica plays coy about it in order to get attention from the boys and in the end she kind of shows that she's knows what she's doing and she kind of flips some guy over. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 It's this weird balance they walk between being like, you know, like really like feminine girly girls in that like stereotypical sense and then having these like kind of badass personas. There's, this is a great example of a, a Jughead story where um, Betty and Veronica are dressed a certain way. And my memory is that Reggie and Archie are like, oh, man, why are they? I don't like those clothes. And and then Jughead goes through all these, like, fashion crazes that the girls had. And, like, oh, we like these outfits. Or, like, we are like, you know, he, as he's describing them, the panels just show the girls together enjoying themselves. But, uh, you know, it's all boiling down to, like, you know, those... You know, those uh, these skirts aren't as uh, showy as the ones we liked more. And the boys are grumbling about how the girls are fickle with fashion and stuff. And then, you know, date night rolls around and the boys all show up in these like slick Italian suits trying to like impress them. And the girls are like, you look like idiots. Get the fuck out. (laughs) (laughs) I think that was an example of me getting like tossed out of a door. Yeah. Yeah. And and every once in a while it gets really playful and kind of weird. Like, for example, one uh, strip where. Uh, Veronica is standing on her head and Betty's just like, and she says something and the text is upside down. 
And Betty's like, I don't understand you because you're speaking upside down. And so it's like sort of breaking the fourth wall or saying like, oh, this is a comic. And it kind of ends with Veronica's father who's laying down and his text is kind of going upwards. (laughs) So I I was just like, oh, I didn't really expect something like this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I feel like they didn't do that as often, but every now and then they'd sneak something like that in there. Yeah. You definitely don't get the impression that every issue or every story was like this, you know, postmodern tweak on (laughs) teenage romance, but several of them were. Yeah. You know, it was all very light and very fun and playful, but those things were surprising. And, you know, to your point about selecting uh, uh, a collection of Dan DiCarlo specifically, his uh, he had a great knack for motion, especially in that story where, you know, they're, you know, twisting arms and flipping dudes around with martial arts. There's a lot of like, you know, uh, you know, maybe Archie's like landed on his head and his limbs are all, you know, akimbo or something. And yeah. um, it was just very dynamic. And the, the little details in just like the way their clothes would rumple in certain points. And there was always a a suggestion of a lot more movement. And I think going into it, I was expecting it to be a lot more simple. It's deceptively simple. Yeah. Oh, yeah. With just a few kind of simple brush strokes, he's able to have these really dynamic figures. Like his figures are like, the anatomy is great. Yeah. Uh, even if things are slightly exaggerated. Like it does feel a lot like it borrowed from a lot of advertising and maybe vice versa. Maybe they're kind of informing each other. But as Tony said, like that action, kind of the dynamics of that and the, how the page just kind of flows. Um, he he was it was pretty masterful. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, this is one of those things that I'm like, you know, realizing through your eyes since you're seeing <laughs> it for the first time. But yeah, I, I think the reason that he's such a great artist is his ability to do those things. And like even in some of the other volumes from like the more modern stuff or the really old stuff, you can see people doing things in a more simple way and it's still effective. It just doesn't have like Dan DiCarlo stuff really feels like art to me. And like the way he creates these characters and creates these worlds. Like when I think of Archie, I picture his Archie and yeah. I think his is was the house style. Once he kind of came in, they kind of took over and everyone said, you do it like this guy. Yeah. Yeah. Looking sure. at more modern stuff at all, you know, despite the, you know, specific changes from artist to artist, it, it all, it all exists as an echo of what he was doing. He was like the Kirby of, of Archie comics. Yeah. Yeah. Not the lovable pink <laughs> creature from right. Nintendo. No, the, that, uh, yeah. Oh, no, he, oh, he ate things. Saying. He ate everybody. Oh yeah. And then sp- Spin him back out. <laughs> Wouldn't the people who came after him be the Kirby, like sucking it in and like putting on a little Dan DiCarlo hat? Sure. And then Whoa. mimicking his powers until they were done, they would spin yeah. it out for the next one. Okay, that makes more sense. <laughs> hey, that's how that shit works. I mean, he is right. <laughs> Maybe he's the Yoshi. No, Jack Kirby. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Jack. Got it. Great. Yeah. Um, I thought what was interesting about reading, dipping my toe into the other volumes that you let us borrow was that it, the stories didn't really change but the time periods they they'd keep up with that kind of stuff so like yeah. some of the 80s 90s ones like there's one for instance where veronica was showing off like their home entertainment unit and their house and how modern it was 
and she had all these remotes for it. And then so Archie's like, well, I'm going to impress her. I'm going to buy her a master remote that controls everything. Wow. Uh, but that <laughs> kind of locked the garage door. So Veronica's dad drove through the garage door and crashed it. But I thought it was interesting how they would, you know, it felt very much like, oh, yeah, this is 80s. They're going out. They all had camcorders and they wanted to make their own America's Funniest Home Video kind of thing. Yeah. So it's always trying to stay current. Yeah. And I thought that was fascinating to see like, oh, this is their perception of the 40s and their perception of the 60s and the 80s and mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. And that was kind of fun to kind of see how it evolved and but stayed the same. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think a bad comparison, not a bad comparison, but one that, you know, maybe questionably has not aged as gracefully. But um, I mean, think of The Simpsons has been on for 30 years and those characters are stuck in time. But like, it's not still 1993. Right. Yeah, 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 exactly. I mean, there's always some sort of like plan, like, oh, we got to do this thing. And, yep. I mean, and its origins are in screwball comedies. Um, maybe never as quite as clever as the best of screwball, maybe. But um, it's always fun because you just kind of see these characters trying to get away with shit and, and mm-hmm. <laughs> things fall apart. Yeah. Which is like a great setup for any kind of comic story, I guess. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And it's very satisfying and, like, comforting pattern once you're used to it. You're like, I know that by the end of this, like, in some way it's going to resolve itself. And it's not going to be with Archie sleeping with one of his teachers. Um. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dig. Oh, yeah, Riverdale, Riverdale. take that. So is this, like, a comfort food comic for you? Oh, definitely. So do you revisit this every once in a while and just kind of? Yeah, I have, I mean, I have these volumes and then I have some, like, single comics that I'll buy just based on like, oh, I like that cover. That's so cute or something, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, At one point, we had just boxes and boxes of Archie Double Digests, which are like, they're like thick, short little volumes. And you could get them at like the supermarket in the checkout lane for like a dollar. I think Ayla just pinpointed it. I think that's where I probably remember Archie the most. That makes a lot of sense. Look at me go. I actually remember stealing one of those by accident. Mystery song. No. What? Yeah. By accident? I was what would sitting... Mr. Weatherby say? <laughs> he would probably give me detention. <laughs> <laughs> I was sitting, so this will tell you how young I was because I was sitting in like the front part of a carriage and I saw it and I picked it up and I was looking at the pictures and then my mom paid for everything and we left and I was carrying the Archie comic the whole time. <laughs> yeah. What I was curious about what, uh, was that, you know, when I was younger, obviously for me, it was superhero comics. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I didn't really know anything outside of that. And so probably when I was really young, it was like Archie is for girls and and Batman and Spider-Man are for boys Yeah, kind of thing. Do you think that thing still sort of persists, unfortunately, that people look down on Archie because they don't take it as seriously because it's not for boys? I And did you ever read superhero comics when you were young? I did, uh, mostly Wonder Woman, because I'm a girl. Um, <laughs> that's just what I was drawn to. Um, I did, and I, I know my brother read Archie comics growing up as well, and I always thought of them as kids' comics, and then the superhero comics were for adults. And um, But I can certainly see why people would think they're for – because Betty and Veronica play huge roles. Even in, you know, when Archie's the title character or Jughead, hit, Jughead had his own, like – series of comics um 
all of the characters were in them and they'd play different roles, but like there was always a strong female presence. So I could definitely see that's not, you know, what young boys are always used to in their media, strong female characters. Um, and certainly not back in like the 90s and early 2000s. So yeah, I could see that. Yeah, I think, and it sounds, you know, I get the impression, you know, knowing you and having met your folks that you had parents who, uh, you know, definitely were not operating in that binary like, this is boy stuff, this is girl stuff. Like, oh, yeah. It's all stuff. You yeah. can all enjoy what you want to enjoy. Right. It's all here to take in. Yeah, I mean, my mom kind of questioned and got mad when I was watching Gem and the Holograms. She yeah. was like, well, why would you watch this? This is a girl's show. Right. I was like, but it's cool. They're like yeah. a rock band, you yeah. know? Like, it's got the same animation of everything else I watch. Why wouldn't I watch Gem and right. the Holograms? Well, because a girl is the main character. <laughs> <laughs> Changes everything. It does change everything. Yeah. I think it was sort of between things. I think when I was maybe younger, I, I thought it was like, oh, that's for girls. And then as I got older, yeah. I dismissed it as being for kids. Yeah. A little bit of both, which is shitty. <laughs> because I mean, cause there's, oh, yeah. it's, you know, and but I was also never a superhero comics kid. I came around to those later. I was always very confused by comics. Mm -hmm. I would always, I think the first time I tried to get into comics was in, not only did I not understand continuity and that these were like multi-issue story arcs, it was also in a very unfortunate and confusing period. And it was like the clone saga of Spider-Man, <laughs> which was dumb and convoluted for no good reason. Whereas these are all very self-contained and like comic strips or, you know, like like TV stories that aren't necessarily serialized or heavily serialized. Each contained story gives you enough about who the characters are that you don't necessarily need to know what came before. There is no there is no through line in much of what was here besides their established relationships, which, again, the way they interact with each other, you pick up on that pretty quick. Mm. Yeah. I grew up uh, when I was reading comics uh, around the time when things like Watchmen and The Dark Knight were really starting to take hold of the industry. So it became this thing where violence and um, TNA were starting to take over. And so that when you're growing up and you're like 12 or 13 and you're starting to read a lot of these ultra violent things and stuff drawn by Rob Liefeld and Jim Lee. Um, Are you saying Jughead didn't have enough pockets for you? <laughs> <laughs> exactly and you you always saw his feet <laughs> true his anatomy was relatively uh yeah on point. what's the deal with this that <laughs> um so it's easy to reject that and then at a certain point when i started branching outside of superhero stuff i was reading things like um subject of uh, pr our previous episode um fun home and things like mouse and blankets and things by craig thompson and a lot of indie stuff and dan Klaus. Um, and we've talked about this at uh, length in prior episodes. So it, it never really fit into that for me. Um, I did love things like Calvin and Hobbes and um, in the far side, obviously. Yeah, and this kind of feels like the miss that, again, that, like, missing, that link. missing link between comic strips and comic books. Yeah, for sure, because they're all kind of, I mean, there are longer Calvin and Hobbes that mm -hmm. go for like five or six pages that are kind of, I don't want to say similar, but, you know, it's that same sort of brevity and... Um, economy of storytelling that a lot of Archie comics had. Um, we haven't really gotten into the characters, really. So let's just kind of briefly talk about all the different main characters, I guess. Um, but there's, you know, obviously Archie. Right. Um, and his nickname is Chick. 
Yeah. Which is strange. It's interesting. Yeah, it is strange. I don't know how that how long that lasts for. That... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But that's a very Because he's like call me chick. That's a very forties nickname. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Uh and then uh Veronica, mm-hmm. who is the spoiled kind of very wealthy. Wealthy, mm-hmm. yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. The 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 one with black hair. Yes. Yeah, they all had very distinct visual tells, so you never left guessing who is who. No. No. And, you know, it was the printing methods were different, so they didn't have access to as many colors. So there had to be the really dark hair for Veronica and then the blonde for Betty mm-hmm. and and then the red for Archie and then the dark for Jughead. And they gave him the distinctive crown yes. kind of hat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, which, his beanie. His beanie, yeah. yeah. Which is a literal beanie in the in Riverdale. <laughs> He's also like a a writer in Riverdale. He's kind of like a, like almost like a film noir ish narrator in the show. Too. <laughs> he is a narrator. He narrates. <laughs> His the beanie show. does have the little points though, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah. That's good. Yeah, um, and uh, as we said, Betty's kind of like a a little bit of a goody two shoes. She's like the girl next door. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah she is, and she's really smart. Yep. Um, they're kind of simple archetypes. Yeah, they really are. But that's almost kind of what impresses me about Riverdale in some ways is that I think the best comics can can take on different contexts mm-hmm. and, and tell different types of stories. So while maybe Riverdale doesn't work for you, that um, maybe it works for some other people. And maybe they're not familiar with the original. Yeah. You know? I actually, I'm a teacher and I have 10th graders right now who love Riverdale um, and we haven't gotten into it fully yet, but I'm really curious, like, to hear what they have to say about it. I showed them a picture from Archie Comics, and they were like, Miss, what is that? And I was like, well, what's that? What are you guys watching? So it certainly appeals to, like, the youth of today. Um, and I think if I had come at it without, you know, all this back knowledge of the characters and feeling like they were supposed to be presented in a certain way, I probably would have liked it, too. Before watching the pilot uh, for this episode... All I really knew of it was that it had this kind of Twin Peaks vibe, and mm-hmm. a lot of people online refer to it as hot Archie who fucks. <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. All right. But, I mean, to your point, it does seem like, and I don't know if maybe this is out of necessity, but the fact that this has existed for, you know, eight eight decades, stuff like Riverdale is an extension of you know, how malleable and how universal the appeal of these characters are. Even stuff as wacky as the Archie zombie apocalypse or Archie meets the predator. I mean, it seems like with that last example, it seems like it's Archie first, predator second. They're not operating on the predator's rules. They've put the predator into Archie's world. Right. And made it work for them. Yeah. And, And, you know, regardless of how absurd that premise is, it seems like it's a, a deliberate, and, and sort of, uh, you know, they're they're in control of this weird Frankenstein they're playing with. You know what yeah. I mean? Well, that's the thing with Riverdale that I noticed in the pilot was that with all this added kind of uh, noir affectations, it still had those relationships there. It, Betty and Veronica were still friends, but still slightly competing with each other uh, and were pining after Archie and Archie was conflicted and 
So all those things were there and because they're very simple in the comics. So it really just ticks, took that as the template and then just kind of grafted it onto like a modern soap opera noir kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Mm. Jughead still loves his hamburgers. He still loves his hamburgers. Which I don't know why I know that. There is no story (laughs) I read that involved Jughead and hamburgers. But I know that that's his thing. Yeah. Yeah. Loves them. Yeah. He runs a tab at Pops. Oh, yeah. All the time. That must be in the original animated series. It has to be. Yeah. Because that's like, that's Jughead's soul. I think his closest relationship is to food. Is to food and to Pop. Is there any relation to to Jughead and Happy from Popeye? Who also liked oh. Wimpy. 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 Yes. Who liked I'm glad hamburgers? Pay you Tuesday for a hamburger today. Yes. Yeah. I don't know. I, I'm. I'm feeling like because doesn't there he must have be. a little hat too? He's got a hat. Like it's like a bowler. Yeah, he's kind of a gentleman. I'm picturing in, him in like a coat with tails. He looks very. He has uh, a very yeah. like he's always eating a hamburger kind of though. To him. He's always yep. eating a hamburger. Yep. Maybe I mean, he's... there must be some. <laughs> some something. Was there, there some like was that like the go to? Post-depression food? <laughs> <laughs> Hamburgers? Yeah. Were they cheap? I don't know. I'm just trying to think of when these two characters came into existence. Was the hamburger a relatively new and exciting food invention at the time? It could have been, <laughs> don't, actually. Don't look up the wiki page for Isn't hamburger. There, there's a place in Connecticut that invented the hamburger sandwich. Yeah. They opened in, like, you know, sometime in the past. Yeah. I have a, you know... <laughs> Did you ever, like, get caught up on where things come from? Like, how the hell did bread happen? Yeah. <laughs> I was wondering yeah. that about gelatin today. Yeah. Like, who was yeah. like, it's let's grind up ho- hooves. Yeah. We figured out how to eat every other part of this animal. <laughs> yeah. So who knows? Yeah. Yeah. To be a fly on the wall the day bread was invented. <laughs> <laughs> and later, hamburgers. Mm. Mm. I think it went bread. Then hamburgers, and then gelatin, because they were like, "Well, we put that horse in between some of that bread we made. What are we gonna do with the feet?" Oh, let's make a a fruity dessert. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Anyway, like marshmallows. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, um. Yeah. There's also uh, Reggie Mantle. He's a character. Oh yeah, I didn't realize that he was as prominent. As he ended up being. Yeah. He plays a pretty big role. He's always like, he's kind of Archie's. um, Foil? Foil. Yeah. And like the girls will settle for him if they have to. He's always after Veronica primarily because he's also from a wealthy family. Oh. Yes. Money marries money. Money marries money. So did Jughead really have no interest in the girls in the comics? No, he has no interest in anything but hamburgers. Oh. He does have a woman named Ethel who is always after him, and he also pays her no mind. How does that work in Riverdale? I, I only watched the pilot. I think he's dating Betty yeah, see, in, no. in the show. It doesn't make any sense. Well, in the pilot, Archie turns her down. Because well, he, he says to her, he's just like, I'm not good enough for you. Oh, my God. He's also like a singer-songwriter, and he writes like uh. shitty WB songs. <laughs> you know, like those kind of like interchangeable. Every WB show has that kind of indie yeah. pop kind of yeah sad bastard kind of song. <laughs> mm-hmm. And he's writing those type of songs. Of course he yeah. is. Yeah, I like to think there's a really complex, like cartoonish machine that just squirts out those kinds of songs yeah yeah 
it seems like they have a folder mm-hmm. and they just save them and then they mm-hmm. just share it between the shows, you know. Yeah. Because they're all the same, except for like Jane the Virgin and oh yeah. and Crazy Ex Girlfriend. Well, I mean, yeah. those are standouts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, the singer songwriter thing is is true to the story. Yeah. They like they are all in a band called the Archies, mm-hmm. and that pops up every now and then. It's not yeah. in every issue. Um, and also the aforementioned Josie and the Pussycats, right? Who are also in Riverdale, yes. which I didn't I didn't uh, realize. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. which is great. Yeah, that is pretty cool. They live on. Yeah, I don't know what it is about Riverdale that just offends. Is it just me. a sacred cow for you? It might be. I think what really put it over the edge for me was the Miss Grundy thing because I was just like. It's just not that's that's a completely different character. Yeah, and I think I think we've moved beyond lightly having student teacher relationships. Yeah. It feels very gross. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I don't I don't get the impression that they handled it with any of the gravity of what was actually going on. Right. It was like that old old school style where it's like, "Oh man, he's cool because he's sleeping with his teacher," which is not really what we want. Now, people feeling. <laughs> nope, not a good look. Yeah, but they look pretty much the same age. Uh, yeah, I well. mean, it doesn't hurt that he looks like he's twenty-eight. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, we uh, did we mention that Riverdale, like at least the first season, I don't know, ha- revolves around a murder. Oh, like an unsolved mystery. Yeah, mm. it's, I mean that's where the the Twin Peaks element really, yeah, comes to the forefront. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it's very soapy. Yeah. Very melodramatic. Peaks is too, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And again, I think it's aware of it and, yeah. and, and it, you know, it knows if, its camp. It it definitely felt pretty cheeky, at least the pilot. I don't know if I'll continue watching it. Yeah, uh, Sandra fell off of it. Yeah. Um, so who knows? It feels like a show that has a shelf life. Probably. Oh, yeah. I don't know why. Maybe if it wasn't so serious. That's true. Look yeah. how long Archie Comics made it, recycling true. the same stories. Ayla, <laughs> <laughs> are, are you still reading any Archie stuff? Are you reading any modern stuff? Or are you just kind of every once in a while dip back into the older stuff? It's more of an every once in a while thing. If I see one at a comic book store that looks like appealing and it's you know brand new, I'll grab it, read it. Is or, there more continu- continuity with the newer stuff? I don't think so. They've done some like longer storylines. Like they have a few Archie gets married ones, and they have a version where he marries Betty, a version where he marries Veronica. And they recently introduced their first uh, gay character. Yeah, correct? yeah, Kevin something. I can't remember his last name. And they actually have a series where Archie dies, and I think he takes a bullet for Jesus. Kevin. Yeah. Yeah, I think it gets very. I think that's adult Archie, right? Yeah. Like there is a storyline where it's sort of aged versions of the characters. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's the death of Archie is yeah. like the name of the storyline, which is very depressing. The character's name is Kevin Keller. Keller, yes. He's actually on Riverdale as well. He is. Yeah. Well, that's nice. Yeah. Good. Tony, you think you'll keep? Do you have any interest in Archie going forward? Like, what did you think of this? Like, did you did you like this? I did. I really did. Uh, you know, I appreciated a lot of what we read. I think if anything, it's really made me more curious about some of the weirder Archie things that we've mentioned, like the 
the Predator crossover or the Punisher one or even like the the Death of Archie storyline. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm very curious to see what they're doing with the more modern stuff. Um, not to dismiss the sort of classic Archie that, Ayla, you're so fond of and <laughs> recommended that we start with. Um, but I think I get it. And I think, you know, maybe uh, certainly I don't need to do an exhaustive read of everything. But um, I would certainly flip through some of the other collections from the like the um, the Silver Age or the Bronze Age collections that are out there. But yeah, I, I'm I'm more than anything curious about the newer stuff just to see how weird they get with it. And if my guess that they're sort of as aware of it tracks or if it is all a hot mess or what. So what about you, Matt? Yeah, I think the same. <clears throat> uh, it's it's really light and frothy and kind of comforting. Um, it's really funny. I believe I texted you, Tony, when we were reading this, and I didn't necessarily think there'd be as much overlap between this and Tales from the Crypt. <laughs> <laughs> but they're both really kind of disposable in a good way. And it's hard because, like, you know, plowing through a lot of Archie comics in a row, it, I was just like, I don't know if I retained a lot of this, but they're all really similar. Mm-hmm. So you could kind of broadly talk about, you know, the antics the characters get into, but sometimes I don't know if I retained a lot of the specifics. Yeah, it sort of scratches the itch for me that um, I really liked stuff like the like Nicktoons when I was a kid, where each new half hour was too short, and you didn't need to worry about. You're excited for the next one because you liked the show, but it didn't matter if you missed it because mm-hmm. event- it was going to get rerun soon enough. And they were just light. They were there, very like comfort foodie. You, they were there because you liked the characters, and they're always going to do exactly what you expect them to do, and it delivers on that premise each time. And the surprises are great, but, you know, I, I don't know that I never ever necessarily needed the surprises from... Angry Beavers or cat something. Cat dog. Cat dog. <laughs> yeah, you know, like it's just like it's it's a it's very reliable. Yeah. And I feel like this is the same way. I it's not surprising that this has endured as long as it has because it seems like once they figured the formula out, they're like we can we can just run with this and change it up when we need to, but it's it's pretty flexible and, and kids are always gonna be kids. Yeah. It's really it was kind of daunting in a way because it's easy to read this volume that you recommended us and like maybe have an idea or opinion about it but when you when I started really trying to learn about Archie comics in general it's just it's just a massive history and it's yeah. been going on for so so long and so many little you know avenues and little branches where it does weird things and goes out here and there and spin-offs and yeah. all these other things so and so many different artists and writers and creators. So it's almost like saying like doing an episode on Marvel comics, right? you know, uh, or one of the big comics companies, because there's just so much there. Yeah. Um, so to me, what was really interesting is really the history of it. And, and Dan DiCarlo's artwork, I, which I really loved. Yeah. So I, I'd be interested in learning more about him and just learning just seeing more of his artwork i think his art appealed to me more than the actual stories did maybe yeah um because i just thought a lot of his his line work is just really beautiful and expressive yeah well and that's definitely why i wanted to start there because 
like you said, Archie Comics kind of branches off in all these different directions. You get Josie and the Pussycats. You have Sabrina. You have, like, crossovers with the Spice Girls had, like, a run in some of the comics. And they have all sorts of different things going on. But, like, Dan DiCarlo's era is when I think the potential for that was born. And, like, he created these characters that persist and kind of despite everything that they've brought in or, like, the many iterations on TV or, like, Riverdale even, I just think, like, this is the core. This is where it all began. That's great. So, Ayla, what we do at the end of the show is we like to recommend something to our listeners. Um, You know, if if they enjoyed the topic of the episode, something they can go to next. So do you have any recommendations? Well, my recommendation would be this, like, really short-run comic series called Yeah, which is about, like, a girl band. There's some alien elements, and they do all these, like, wacky adventure kind of things. It's awesome. And I remember reading that at the time that I was, like, still reading Archie comics. So not really related, but related enough. Yeah, that works. It sounds cool. Yeah. What about you? Yeah, so this is going to be sort of in the vein of reimagining the iconic characters and I don't think I've mentioned this on the show before, but I'm going to recommend a novel by Edgar Cantero called Meddling Kids. And you meddling kids. Exactly. <laughs> the, the premise is this is the story of these four adults who, when they were kids, were these amateur crime solvers. And they tended to solve mysteries involving supernatural elements that turned out to be just human ne'er-do-wells. Their dog followed them around on these adventures. But the last case they ever did was a little too creepy, and it kind of broke all of them. So now, decades later, they're all complete sort of messes and sort of broken versions of themselves. The characters are all very much modeled after the Scooby-Doo gang. And it turns out that this last case did involve this sort of Lovecraftian uh, horror. And it's really fun. It's It's a very quick, breezy read. And it's very referential to a lot of, obviously, Scooby-Doo stuff, but it makes reference to a lot of Lovecraft and uh, a lot of horror film and TV and uh, video games and stuff. But I think it's certainly in the wheelhouse of of our listeners. So uh, that's Meddling Kids by Edgar Cantero. When did that come out? came out in 2017. He's done a couple of novels since then. I think one of them is kind of a loose spinoff about one of the characters mentioned in it. But, um, yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. That sounds cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm going to recommend a comic book called Spider-Man Loves Mary Jane. Uh, and this was this series that from uh, 2005 to 2007 is short-lived because, you know, comic book fans suck. Uh, <laughs> but it's a series that centers around Mary Jane. Uh, and Spider-Man is barely in it. Uh, and when he does pop up, He's usually kind of off in the background saving things. And Mary Jane is kind of split between her affection for Spider-Man and Peter Parker. Uh, so it has like, it's more of like a high school romance kind of comic. Uh, it's very much in tone with Archie. Um, and it was created by uh, Sean McKeever and it had uh, with uh, art by uh, Takeshi Miyazawa. So it has like a sort of anime style, but it's a, it's a great, really fun uh different approach to the spider-man universe uh and it takes mary jane's it it takes her character seriously she's not just like there to be saved all the time or to be 
something that Spider-Man or Peter Parker has to worry about. It's about her concerns and, and the things that she has to deal with on a, on a daily basis. It's really fun. What are we talking about next time? Matt, we're going to talk about cats. Like the animal? No. I have two. No. We're talking about we're not talking about the movie. Can you can you hear the preconceived notion I have in my voice already? <laughs> in honor of Cats coming out, the film, we are going to be watching the I think it was a 1998 um filmed Broadway production of mm-hmm. Cats because uh I mean, the movie's already a meme and and neither of us know anything about it besides nope. the fact that it's wildly popular. So, people ostensibly love it. I don't think they but do. Pe- but <laughs> no, but but people have to, right? There have to be people out there who love cats. I mean, no one I've spoken to loves cats. Ayla and I have a a, a friend on one of our improv teams who saw cats and spent like a half hour just trying to explain what it was about. It was very confusing. Yeah. Um I think did they leave halfway through? They may have left. I think they might have left. I think the whole thing's like a metaphor for, for heaven and death and all that shit. Oh. So we're going to get into that. <laughs> yeah. And memories? Yep. Yeah. Memories. Mm-hmm. All alone in the memories. You sound just like a cat. <laughs> <laughs> um, apparently, Taylor Swift wrote a new song for the movie version of Cats with Andrew Lloyd Webber. Whoa. Sir Andrew Lloyd Webber himself. Whoa. Yes. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. My only real connection to Andrew Lloyd Webber is the Paul F. Tompkins version of of Andrew Lloyd Webber on Comedy Bang Bang. Yeah. Which is amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you've never listened to Comedy Bang Bang, you should find those episodes with Paul F. Tompkins. Yeah. Doing it. But uh, yeah, I, I, Cats is... So Cats is another one that's kind of like fish for us where... Uh, it's not only a, a significant piece of pop culture named after an animal, but uh, also tends to come with a lot of baggage. I mean, we're, we're already, you know, it's, I'm not going to say we haven't made up our minds, but uh, I think this is going to be an instance of us being less curious about what is redeemable about it <laughs> and more interested in what the fuck is happening. Because how, like, I've never met anybody who likes cats. Yeah. But I don't think musical fans really speak of it highly. But, you know, it was successful in the 80s and people were doing a lot of coke. But it still tours. I think it came back in preparation for the movie. Oh. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. No? It seems like it's never really gone away. Yeah. It did, though, for quite a while. I'm pretty sure. Well, you know what? We're we going to find out. We'll investigate. We're we'll going to find those out. Questions. Gonna, yep. <laughs> pretty excited to. Yeah, this is. That's it, some. some <laughs> and we haven't done a. We haven't done a. Big Broadway musical yet? We haven't. So, no. Um, yeah. So that'll that'll do it. I'm looking forward to it. I am. I am. Yeah. Morbidly am curious. Me too. I cool. am too. Yeah. Great. Well, and um, then we're gonna have to do a follow up and go see the movie. Uh, yeah. I or think at least an addendum. the pl- The plan for this was certainly to um, to get to it before the movie came out. Yeah. Cool. Uh, so Ayla, thank you so much for coming by to talk Archie with us. Sure, anytime. Uh, if people are interested in uh, seeing you perform, which yeah. we haven't talked about before, yeah. but uh, well, we did mention that you and I are on an improv team together. We did mention that. What? But, uh, yeah. Uh, you're also uh, a, a cast member of the Empire Review. I am. We perform the first Sunday of every month at AS220. It's a good time. And uh, 
Oh, so that's perfect timing. The December show uh, will be a few days after this episode drops. So yes. where can people find out about that? Uh, I think the best place is actually Facebook. Cool. Empire Review Facebook, yeah. And uh, you can find Wage House on Wage Facebook House. as well. That's where we do improv. Mm-hmm. Cool. Uh, I think that about does it for us. Yeah. Great. Talk to you next time, Matt. I'll see you then. I'm not going to. I'll cut it out. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> I was um, like, is this how they always end it? <laughs> yeah, it always ends You'd with a part nice. <laughs> Did you? Are we, we're good, right? Thank you for listening to What Did We Miss? If you want to catch up on previous episodes, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts. We're on Spotify, Stitcher Premium, and Google Play. You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at What Did We Miss? And thanks, as always, to What Cheer Writers Club in downtown Providence, where we record our episodes. If you want to learn more about them, you can follow them on Twitter and Instagram at What Cheer Club and visit their website at whatcheerclub.org. <laughs>